Hello, hello. Hope you're still having a good week. What is this, the the fourth day of Christmas now? Well, whatever, because what matters is it's the third day of our look back at some of our in-depth reporting this year on Start Here. So in our series, Priced Out, we've been talking about how the invisible hand of the real estate market is quietly reshaping American lives. And when I say real estate, you probably think of housing, right, where we live. But workspaces are going through this too. Entire downtowns quickly emptied out in the wake of the pandemic, and even as many workers have returned, it's kind of begged this question, how much do we really need all those office buildings downtown? This question has huge ramifications, because if you don't need to commute to work, the gas station nearby doesn't have as many customers, neither does the hot dog vendor outside the office or the jewelry shop next door, which is why, over the last year especially, there have been some urgent questions about the future of the American downtown. Some have suggested turning these office buildings into housing. Well, guess what? That's already happening. Today, we're going to talk about what this means for where we work, where we live, and whether our cities will ever be the same. It's the third and final installment in our series, Priced Out, Offices. We are in the heart of what you'd expect to be the center of the world when it comes to office space. Lower Manhattan, specifically the financial district. All right, we've arrived on Wall Street. Actual Wall Street. Here's the New York Stock Exchange. I moved to New York 20 years ago. Back then, this area of the city basically shut down at 6 p.m. Workers might grab a drink at a pub, then boom, they were gone. You'd never dream of living here. That has changed. I'm passing by people walking their dogs. And there are fewer, like there is no one in a suit wandering around this part of the financial district. There are places that serve brunch in the financial district. Brunch! They got one of those movie theaters that serves food while you watch. These are not establishments for commuters. These are for locals. And on this surprisingly quiet Wednesday afternoon, I'm here to see one particular building, 55 Broad. Let's see, we're looking for 55. Okay, there's 55 Broad Street. Above me stands a towering black skyscraper, 30 stories, built in 1956. The exterior is all steel and glass, no balconies or decks. You can see the fluorescent office lights from the street. Up through the 70s, this was the home to Goldman Sachs. Buildings don't get more corporate than this. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Brad. Hi, Brad. John. Hey, John. Nice to meet you. How are you? I've arrived in a marble floor lobby to get a tour from a well-known New York architect named John Setra, who's been asked to turn this high-rise office tower into a high-rise apartment building. Okay, we're going in the elevator here. Is this one of those ear-poppy buildings? No, it's not that tall. Okay. We're heading up to the 30th floor of 55 Broad in what would often be offices for the higher-ups at the very top of the org chart. My ears just popped, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to it, I guess. <laughs> but now, where there used to be hallways and carpeting and copy machines, there's concrete and electric cables. Everything's being renovated from the inside out. Oh, wow. So, okay, so what are we looking at here? All right, so we're on the 30th floor. The floor has been cleaned out, so there is no... There are no partitions or anything in here. We're getting This past July, developers closed on this property for $172 million. Their plan is to turn this 400,000-foot behemoth that used to be full of cubicle-dwelling bankers into nearly 600 market-rate apartments. John says the demand for these types of conversions has been growing. As a matter of fact, there's another one right over there on uh, Water Street, uh, that brick building that we're, we're converting. That was... J.P. Morgan also. Um, that huge, that huge yeah. one there. Yeah, yeah. That building's getting converted. That's uh, that will have 1,300 apartments in it when it's done. 
Some of this predates the pandemic. After 9-11, there was this big push to turn this whole area into something more livable. They rebranded the financial district as FIDI. But he says there's something more specific that seems to be driving this boom. It's almost as if landowners are racing to get people in. Uh, what we're seeing now is this kind of acceleration of these buildings from the 50s, 60s, and 70s that are, that are being converted as well. And that is all because of money. So here's your crash course in commercial real estate. Just like your house with a mortgage, very few companies actually own their buildings free and clear. Most of them have set up big loans to cover them. And just like mortgage rates, low interest rates in recent years have made these loans pretty cheap. To the point where, when the loans came due, you just paid them off by taking out another loan. Well, that party is ending. Interest rates are going up. In the next three years alone, the finance analysis group TREP says one5 trillion dollars worth of commercial real estate loans are about to come due. New loans with higher interest rates aren't great options. And right as that's happening, companies with desk workers have never needed your space less. By some estimates, close to 20% of offices in America are sitting vacant right now. To the banks that hold these loans, the value of these buildings is plummeting. The way I see it is that a lot of these buildings, are, first think of them as assets, okay? You have an asset, it's worth $300 million. You go to the bank and you say, I want to borrow against that asset. So I take money for another project or another use. Maybe it's to reinvest in the property, but maybe not. But then what's happening with the rent? The rent is going down. So the rent is not covering the debt service and the cost of operation. And the bank is asking, okay, how much is your place worth? And you're like, it's this amount. And the bank's like, well, you've only got, you don't, I don't know if it's worth as much so, as you thought it was. Correct. So now they're looking at it and saying, like you said, it's not worth what we thought it was worth. You see where this is going? The lender is going to say your loan payments will be this much. The rent you're making from your tenants will be this much. And it doesn't add up anymore. So now you have the shortfall. So what do you do? They might walk away from some of these properties and say, I can't pay the debt service. So Mr. Banker, take it back. He's saying there's a real chance that some of these big companies default on their debt. Properties go belly up. That's what's on the line. To even get a loan with favorable terms, you've got to show very soon that your big building is capable of turning a profit. So people are looking at these buildings and saying the return is much higher for a residential conversion. And it's more consistent. So that's what we should be doing with these. We've talked about the housing crisis. If you build it, they will come. Compared to offices, occupancy rates for apartments are sky high, which is why in New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and elsewhere, city officials are scrambling to clear the way for offices to be converted into housing or even buildings for college campuses. New York Governor Kathy Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams have relaxed rules to remove red tape to make conversions easier because all these cities are terrified of entering what's known as a doom loop. So, when we come back, we're going to talk about this scary phrase and how in the world a city can avoid its doom. We'll be right back. 
We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So, no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more or I'd read a book or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, welcome back. Let's meet someone new, someone who's not in New York City. This is Chuck Blosey's. Office vacancy is between 30 and 40 percent, which is higher than what it's been historically. It used to be in the single digits for a long time. He's an architect in San Francisco, which has recently seen some dramatic foreclosures in commercial real estate. We turn now to San Francisco, a major mall downtown pulling out of the city, citing sharply declining sales, fewer shoppers. Realestateagents.com put the Bay Area at the top of their list for fastest dropping real estate values in the nation. Now it's empty storefront after empty storefront after empty storefront. So here's how a so-called doom loop works. Big companies downtown pack up and move, which means they're no longer paying property tax. The city has fewer funds to provide services, so maybe now they cut back on trash pickup or police work. Well, now the area is even less attractive to another local business who packs up as well. Soon, no one's coming downtown to spend money, which means more people move away. It's also called a death spiral. People are saying that our death loop is bigger than other cities. And Mm. some of that is because we had kind of a real estate monoculture, you might say, tech uh, uses mostly. And then, of course, when the pandemic 
hit us, tech workers, where it was easy for them to work from home. And now our businesses and city officials are desperately trying to get their heads back above water, which is where Chuck comes in. He specializes in revitalizing underused urban spaces. I think consensus is that office use the way it used to be is just never going to come back. And we need to figure out what that means for cities in general and specifically here in San Francisco. Well, yeah. Can you can you walk me through then what goes into a conversion? Because um, that sounds simple, right? Like take the take the rooms and turn them into different rooms, livable rooms. Put a put a fridge in there. Well, almost. Chuck says, think about your average office building. Those coveted corner offices are actually pretty rare. The vast majority of that building, the conference rooms and the cubicles, are nowhere near a window. They sit deep in what architects call the floor plate. And rooms without windows are generally a no-no for residential buildings. For both practical and code reasons, uh, residential units need light and air. Uh, Your bedroom has to have a window in it. So that means that in an office tower, only bedrooms... (laughs) at this point, would be around the outside of this huge building. That's right. That's right. Oh. And and therefore, the deeper the floor plate, the more difficult it is to get light and air back into the bedroom spaces. So we're calling those dark spaces in the center core. Solving these dark spaces, he says, is one of the biggest keys to a conversion. You don't need as many elevators in an apartment building, but you need a lot more kitchens. Fundamental problem is plumbing. You know, office buildings have typically bathrooms ganged in the middle of the building. Residences have bathrooms all over the place, so you essentially need to take the building apart to uh, do mechanical and electrical and plumbing uh, upgrades. John Setra, the Wall Street architect, is solving for all these problems in New York. The way that this building was heated and cooled before was that there was a tremendous cooling tower at the top of the building, and there were huge ducts that were that came from the top of the building with either hot or cold air, which were then distributed along the perimeter. But you, there was no way to control no it. No one gets to have their finger on the thermostat. Nobody can touch. You know, you know, you really can't adjust it. And when you think about the size of a New York City finance building, these things take up entire city blocks. The floor plans, especially lower down, are huge. The dark spaces, cavernous, which has forced John and his team to rethink entire apartment layouts. It's not a standard apartment. Because of the size of the floor plates, the apartments get kind of long and narrow, but every apartment will have windows and then they'll have uh, home offices as well, plenty of closet space everything that you'll, you need, you know, in an apartment. So if you can picture it, living in a former office space might resemble something closer to a big loft apartment, a long bedroom with one huge window at the end. He describes other uses for dark space at the center of the building, lounges, home movie theaters. To me, it's exciting as uh, someone who is interested in urban design and planning and seeing this part of the city not dying, actually being reborn you know, is is so exciting. You Meanwhile, know. Chuck Blosies, our San Francisco architect, is thinking way outside the box. Could we use this as a chance to radically re-envision our cities? So one of the ideas we have for the dark spaces of these buildings is to create what we would call an autonomous vehicle dispensary, hmm. where these self-driving cars can drive themselves into nooks and crannies of the building so we can kind of stuff them in these dark areas. You need an elevator to get them up there kind of drive in one side, get cleaned up and repaired on a conveyor belt kind of idea, and then drive out again to pick up their next fare. 
The pandemic may have accelerated the office exodus, he says, but workers aren't coming back. Not in the way that they used to. The sooner we accept that, he says, the healthier every city will be. Elevator shafts can be turned into hydroponic gardening in there, so grow the lettuce in the in elevator the ele- shaft. In you, the old the, elevator that's shaft. That's right. You grow the lettuce in the elevator shaft and serve it in the restaurant down at the bottom. And when you hear both these designers describe all these changes, it's a reminder of the huge costs of these conversions. Less expensive than constructing a new building from scratch, but still extraordinarily expensive. Which is why in lower Manhattan, in a city desperate for affordable housing, these renovated towers are being marketed as luxury apartments. And if you're building a new community of sorts, all these decisions shape what that community will look like. Just finished work for the day, so taking her out for a walk. Just steps from the New York City Stock Exchange, we meet Stephanie Tronis, who lives at one of these buildings John converted down the street. She's one of the dog-walking residents. I love the neighborhood, and it continues to evolve and to grow, and things keep opening up, and um, yeah, I love it down here. So yeah, I see myself staying here for at least a couple more years. Stephanie works an office job, and while she commutes to work sometimes, like many of her peers, she now has a hybrid work schedule, meaning even the people moving into the financial district don't plan on working full-time in the offices that are still standing. It's quiet on the weekends. I love that. It's busy enough during the week that it feels like it's a neighborhood, but then on the weekends, it's, it's pretty quiet, which I enjoy that. The beautiful thing about cities is they never stay the same. Just uptown, former manufacturing hubs like Soho have become world-renowned hotspots. People have been living in these industrial buildings for years. Times do change, but with the urban landscape shifting so quickly right now, it's anyone's guess what kind of future we build. Okay, that will do it for this episode, and that will do it for our series Priced Out. Hope you enjoyed our independent reporting this year. If you did, let us know. Hey, maybe we'll do more projects like this in 2024. Wait, what's that you say? Brad, it's only Thursday. What about tomorrow's episode? I'm so glad you asked because tomorrow we have something really special. It is the return of our audience favorite, our show dedicated to One Last Things on our final show of the year. By the way, from the voices of our producers who toil on these segments all year long. So if tomorrow's the fifth day of Christmas, this will be like our five gold rings moment. It is not to be missed. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow.